Welcome to The Pseudo Show, episode 25. I'm your host, Michael Edwards, and today I'm joined by my brother, Justin, as we had the privilege of talking with Lee Bozeman of the band Luxury. Luxury is a band near and dear to our hearts as we followed them from their early days on the Tooth & Nail record label into adulthood as they've all continued creating music together and separately. Lee, when he's not working with Luxury, has created records under various monikers, including All Things Bright and Beautiful and Orient Is His Name. And I even had the chance to collaborate on a song or two with him once upon a time. Uh, Links to those in the show notes. We invited Lee onto the Pseudo Show to discuss Luxury's first new album in 10 years called Trophies. The record follows some fan-funded Kickstarter campaigns that also saw the production of a forthcoming documentary about the band. Lee had lots of stories and insights into the band, his creative process, and what he's reading and listening to these days. So let's get right into the interview. So Lee, welcome to the Pseudo Show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, excited to talk about Luxury's new album, uh, the first in 10 years, is it? Uh, yeah, I guess so. It would have been uh, 2005 was the last one. So I guess that sort of poses the question, uh, why do a new album now? <laughs> um, why, why not, I guess is the answer. Um, you know, it wasn't, uh, there, was, there was never any, any um, intentional rhyme or reason to anything that Luxury ever did, so... Um, this is just sort of par for the course, as they say. Um, the The idea just sort of struck me. Uh, I think. Okay, I'll, I'll back. I'll give you. I'll give you a broader, more interesting sort of story <laughs> to it. Um, are you familiar with the band Pussy Riot? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Um, so they're this Russian pseudo punk thing outfit, and they had their you know their their big um, to do. Uh, with the Orthodox Church out there, and, and got a lot of immediate media attention, and, and um, so on and so forth. Um, for whatever reason, um, that inspired me um, a couple of years ago to sort of think about. Um, well, not for any reason. I mean, basically, the reason is that three of us in the band are Orthodox priests, and I thought, well, it's sort of an equal time kind of um, scenario where well, they're presenting something very aggressive. Um, and I thought, well, maybe we should add our voice into that by doing another luxury record. Um, and that's sort of the, that was sort of the seed for all of that. Gotcha. Now that didn't that didn't develop into anything sort of political or anything like that. It was just that's that was my um, you know that was the kicker that got me thinking about it. Yeah, and did it take much convincing for the rest of the band, or was everyone kind of into it um, when the idea came together? Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm trying to think who would have been reluctant. My, my brother would have been probably the most reluctant uh, of all of us. Um, not so much because, you know, hey, we're doing a new record, but you know, he had he has done a, quite a bit of uh, solo recordings and different things. Had another band. Um, I think he had to sort of think through whether or not he wanted to do uh, another record with us. Um, not that he had anything against us or anything like that, but it was just one of those. Okay, what does this mean? What's this going to look like? Kind of thing. But, yeah. Um, everybody else uh, absolutely jumped on board uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. And uh, one of the other interesting things about this record is that you guys uh, use Kickstarter um, sort of in two different ways because there, there's the album, but there's also a, a documentary about luxury that's been pulled together. And have you done any Kickstarter type things before? Is this kind of a, a model you'd consider for any other pursuits? Well, um, I'll offer a little clarity uh, because the, kick, the Kickstarter thing uh, for the luxury record uh, we had we had looked at different uh, friends bands that had been successful at raising uh, money, 
and um, decided that that was probably, you know, at least give it a shot. And so we had worked up a couple of budgets, sort of like the ideal budget, what we would need. And it was so outrageous, I thought this this will never happen. Um, and so then we worked up a budget that was based on what's just the bare essentials to get this thing done. Uh, and that's what we that's what we ran with with Kickstarter. Um, and thankfully, you know, we were able to raise that money. But um, the documentary, really, uh, we had nothing to do with that. Um, well, we our our uh, erstwhile sort of second de- uh, second guitar player Matt Hinton. Um, he was a documentary uh, filmmaker as well as a number of other things, but uh, he had had success with a um, with a with a film he did before, and because the the luxury Kickstarter was successful, he decided to pursue doing this uh, this documentary, um, and his budget uh, <laughs> well his budget was outrageous, and uh, I never <laughs> thought he would be successful at it at all. Um, was kind of hoping he wouldn't be honestly. Um, <laughs> You know who wants that kind of uh, that kind of thing? But um, anyway, he but he uh, yeah. Well, he's you know, and and it's really his thing. I mean, I, really, I have because I'm a control freak. Um, I told him either I have to you know kind of be in charge of the whole thing, or I want nothing to do with it. Kind of you know what I mean? I mean nothing. <laughs> and and then obviously I couldn't be in control of it because he's also a control freak. So um, it's it's his thing, but. Uh, but to, <laughs> I've, I've not answered your question at all. No, I have never. I had never done a Kickstarter uh, campaign before, and now that we've had success with one, and Matt's had success with the other one, um, the temptation is just to do as many as I can and keep doing records. Um, but you have to, I think, sort of pace pace yourself yeah. a little bit and determine what you know what <laughs> what your audience's capacity is for. Uh, yeah. For supporting you. So. Maybe every ten years you can kickstart a luxury <laughs> album. <laughs> uh, well, that yeah, that would be something. Would be, yeah. <laughs> Geriatric band. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so this was uh, recorded by Matt Goldman, and uh, he also helped engineer an earlier luxury album, the self-titled one. Yeah, he did. Uh, it's, it's funny because it was. Um, I mean, Matt Goldman. He's an old friend of ours. He played in a band called Piltdown Man that we were. Um, I don't know if you know bands tend to develop sort of uh band romances with other bands. <laughs> um and so they were our lovers, uh so to speak, in the band world. And so we played a lot of shows together. Um, you know, a, num- a couple of the the singer and the guitar player. Uh we lived together, you know, I lived with them in Atlanta and Matt who played guitar for them ended up playing, playing guitar with us. Um and so we had a we had a long-time relationship with them and Matt Goldman um when we were looking to do another record, we had left Tooth and Nail, and kind of very similar to this circumstance, we had approached a label in Atlanta that was very sympathetic to us and we had a long history with, and said, "Hey, we're interested in doing a record." And they said, "We're interested in putting it out, and you know, see if Goldman will record it." So he actually did. Um, it was the first record, uh, as far as I know, that he actually recorded um, before he became, you know, uber famous um, for all of his. Screamo band recording yeah, under oath, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, um, but we recorded. I remember the, that third record. We recorded part of it um, at our little studio in in Tacoa, Georgia. We recorded part of it in his dad's uh, warehouse. I think he sold um, copiers and copier equipment or something like that. And then he finally got a studio. We ended up recording the rest of it there. So, yeah, we went back to him. 
That's great. And uh, with this record, so um, how was the the songwriting? Are you the uh, a principal songwriter? Was anything like? Did you guys get together? Was this like an internet collaboration? No, I, I mean I have been um, the primary songwriter uh, since the first record. So um, I think I wrote all the songs on the second and third, and I, I, I primarily wrote all the songs. So for this one. When I presented the idea to everybody, I didn't have any songs written. Um, it was just a, you know, hey, what do you think? Should we try to do this? And uh, once we were successful with the Kickstarter, I didn't even start, you know, writing for it until the Kickstarter was successful. Um, and then I had to do it, you know, it put you under some pressure. So, so, yeah. so um, yeah, so I sat down and, and intentionally tried to write songs that I would think luxury would do, which really wasn't the kind of songwriting that I had been doing for the last, you know, few years. So that was, uh, that was kind of an interesting, uh, experience. Um, a couple of uh, my brother and Matt both sort of sent me some, some demos. I mean, just sort of, you know, garage band kind of demos. And then I, um, took those for a couple of songs and just, you know, converted them into my own thing and then developed them from there. But for the most part, it was just, uh, me sitting here in my bedroom with my, you know, iMac and, um, and just recording basic demos and then sending that to everybody. And then we got together, um, twice for two, uh, two, three day weekends and, uh, sort of played through everything. Uh, I mean, it might've been, it might've been three times. I can't remember now, but it was no more than, you know, three weekends that we were able to play through everything. And then we went into, you know, actually into the studio to record. So that was the that was the extent of it. And uh, I, I saw on your website you mentioned this record as having been kind of a, a difficult birth. And um, was that because of the <laughs> distance or just your own um, efforts writing music again? Or uh, Well, dynamics had changed. Um, I think, you know, on the earlier... Well, so part of it, and I have to be a little bit careful how I say it... Um, <laughs> Uh, we had all, we'd been playing when we did play years ago uh, when we played live. We had added Matt as our sort of live you know live component because I I wanted to be able to sort of shake my can more than play guitar. So we brought him on to to do that, and I could just sort of you know do what I did live. Yeah. Um, and then uh, that sort of relationship kind of just you know stuck. And so we had never we recorded the last we recorded our our last record in two thousand five. Um, in Tacoa, Georgia, my brother was living there, and he's the one who recorded that record. And Matt was a part of it, um, but it wasn't clearly defined. With this one, um, it was clearly defined that Matt was, you know, a, a sort of a full member of the band, playing with us, taking pictures, and contributing ideas. And so that um, what we found, we'd never really recorded a record like that. And previously, I had been pretty much a tyrant um <laughs> yes <laughs> when it, when it comes to sort of getting my way you know saying you do this you do this and this time i tried to i think be a little bit more um democratic about it you might say and uh and so what it ended up happening i think was in conjunction with sort of um a new reality of recording there was also it was kind of leaderless in some respects and so um, but it was just sort of um, it was it was it was pretty it was a struggle. I'll, I'll say that we had a significant amount of um, tension with just ideas and who was going to do what and 
Um, and we didn't just have limitless amounts of time in the studio. Right. I mean, you know, we had to get it in there and get done in, in a week. So that can help sometimes, just having a deadline of like, all right. No, no, not no, really. not um, really. <laughs> I mean, what it does is basically you just end up just crossing things off and going on, moving on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. um, when, when, if you have time to sort of deliberate and, and, and sort of let it stew a little bit, then, then things will come to you, and I think it ends up being a better um, kind of record. So... So as a, as a for instance, uh, health and sport. Our last record, Jamie, you know, recorded that, and he he had all the time in the world because it was his studio, and he was able to come up with a lot of very interesting uh, ideas and sounds um, and that kind of thing. <clears throat> Whereas this record, we just didn't have the time to do that. So it was really so. So this new record, um, it, it's not interesting really, as far as that's <laughs> concerned. I mean, the song the songwriting might be good or. You know what I mean, but it's not—it's not like breaking any grounds or anything like that. It's just kind of um, what we do. So, so that's that's where some of the. Um, I'm not a very good promotion guy for this. Guy. <laughs> that's the headline. This, this record's not very interesting. <laughs> I yes, I think it's good. I think it sounds good. I think the songwriting's good. The recording is really good. But you know, when you're trying to sort of push bounds and do something interesting that you haven't done before. Um, we just didn't have the time to do that on this. We had to get it done. So, you, you know what I'm talking about. I've heard your record. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I'm a home studio man, so it's it's really just nothing ever gets finished. Rather than <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, too um, much time on your hands. Yeah, that's the flip side, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, I know Justin, you had a question about some of the, the graphic design stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's something I've always, you know, charted over the course of, you know, I did even get some of your Shroud cassette tapes back in the day, but um, I've always just kind of loved the the style of your your album covers and, and kind of repurposing artwork, advertisements, wherever you found your, your visual materials. Um, I, I was kind of joking with Mike this week that it was kind of, you guys were doing Mad Men before Mad Men existed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just this kind of aesthetic, you know, it still is very classic, stylish, cigarettes and cocktails and, um, you know, kind of just this sense of, you know, you're, you're playing on this, a nostalgia here, but also, you know, since you brought the rock and roll to us, you know, it kind of, it just, it just you know, for me, it just impressed upon me, especially, you know, as a teenager listening to these albums, um, it, it was unique and, and, and special to me in that way. And I was just kind of, you know, curious charting your own, and if that's your input as well as you said, you kind of you get to be the tyrant on these things. Are you in charge of kind of finding your even um, you know display and, and, and album cover work, or if that's you or collaboration? Um, yeah, yes, and no. I haven't. I mean, I I want more control than than I've had. Um, but I've had I've had a significant amount of control. All all the images that have been used for the covers um, were all images that I uh, that I've determined that I wanted to use mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> the uh, I'll give you sort of the 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 good and the bad the first the first record um, the cover image is something that I did of course this was 1995 when this came out and so I don't think any of us even had PCs or computers of any sort and so we we sent it off to tooth and nail and they had a guy named Matt Wignall who played in um, 
Yeah, Havelina, right? Um, Havelina, yeah. Yeah. He was the he was the graphic uh, graphic arts guy. Cool. Um, and I think and so he he put you know he used my cover image and then I sent a variety of other images along, and they put the rest of it together. Um, and no offense to Matt, but it's just horrible. I mean, it's just, <laughs> um, it's yeah, all the different fonts. I mean, it's just there's no, there's absolutely no taste to it, um, aside from the cover. And thank God nobody really sees anything except for the cover. Yeah, we don't have um, those foldouts anymore. Right, right. So, um, so, uh, <clears throat> so that was you know the sort of the first record experience, and, and and that was the kind of thing we didn't even see it until the box of CDs arrived. At, oh you know, wow! And opened it up and. Um, just sort of opening up and and just totally deflated by the whole thing. It was <laughs> it was it was sad. Um, but the um, from there <clears throat> from there uh, there on out the the second record, my brother laid that one out. Um, it's it's okay. I you know it, I don't feel great about that one either. I don't, I don't actually I don't. Let's just skip the second record. I don't care okay. for that record at all. Um, the dance it's, party. Yeah, no, it's it's a bad. The whole thing was bad. But um, so I think we didn't really kind of catch our stride until the third record. And actually, the third record, um, surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, but I didn't have anything to do with the artwork on that. We had a. Um, it was with uh, Gray Dot Bulletproof Records in Atlanta. Okay. And they had a guy um, named Owen Eliason, uh, who uh, you know I said, eh, just see what you can do. And so he came up with the, with the concept of it, kind of keeping with our vibe. He had known us for a long time and. So he used the uh, Frank Lloyd Wright image, you know, for the the uh, library, and it made it made sense um, at that point. I had always used people. I'm all the images that I've always tried to use are are, are people, or especially women. I just always liked, you know, sort of that those kind of images. Um, so that was a little bit of a departure, um, I guess. Uh, uh, health and sport, my. Um, we were worried about copyright, so because we, we used a copyrighted image and kind of doctored it and removed the the uh, Arc de Triomphe, which is in the image, so it just ends up as sort of this black sort of thing. So um, again, I don't feel very <laughs> again not good. I'm not good at promotion, but hearing um, it now, yeah, <laughs> go for it. Yeah, I, yeah, but it it could have been. I mean, everything it could have been so much better. Everything could have been so much better. Um, but the the new one, I think uh, the image. We have two images. I don't know if you've seen the twelve-inch uh, vinyl version or not, but um, if you have this, if you've seen the CD or the CD cover, um, on the inside there's an image of uh, this this uh, painting called "Aurora Takes Leave of Tithonus," and that's what I wanted for the cover originally. And to kind of give you the dynamic um, of recording this record, well, the image is. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a 17th century, 16th century painting, something like that, um, of a woman, you know, uh, who's uh, bare-chested and she's leaving Aurora. She's leaving, you know, Tithonus, this, uh, you know, this uh, dawn image, uh, this dawn goddess. Um, and so I wanted to use it just as it was, and there was contention about the fact that she would be, ex- you know, exposing her bosom on the wow. cover of a, of a record, and it never it never occurred to me. That that would be problematic, right? Um, some other people in our in our band saw that that could be problematic, and so there was a long conversation and sort of debate about that. And um, we ended up, you know, doctoring it, cutting it up, and making it a little bit more, you know, sort of um, re- repurposed, as you said, um, to kind of suit the uh, the aesthetic. And then still, I guess. I'm giving away all my secrets here, but it's kind of it's <laughs> sort of you know to sort of mitigate the uh, 
um, the great burning, lustful desires of everybody that's going to look at it. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks for that. And I'm always I'm always curious about any of my favorite album covers over the years. It's just kind yeah. of how often do I get a chance to go like, hey, now that I have you, oh, yeah, what, yeah. what was going on with there? You know. Uh, but no, I, I think that's that's interesting about kind of tooth and nail, just saying like, here's what you're going to get, and you know, there it is. Welcome to the label, and <laughs> yeah, because well, that. I, yeah, it can say so much about your band without your voice in it. It's kind of like, oh, wait. Well, that yeah, and, you know, early, before we had signed, um, you know, we had sort of specialized in show flyers. And so, mm-hmm. um, and we have just tons of those where I had been able to kind of you know, use all these images. And I had never worried about, you know, copyright or, you know, just I was looking for images that I enjoyed. Um, and then we would use them. And then when we got to the records, all of a sudden you had to kind of think about those things. Um and that you know forces you into a place where you have to compromise and um, or or get rights and and nobody was interested in trying to pursue getting rights for things so um, so that kind of again forced us into um, you know making certain choices and and I think if technology had been with us uh, personally you know my brother now is a graphic designer and so he. Um, you know, he did the newest, all the newest layout for the new record, and it looks fantastic. And I think if we had had those options earlier, we would have you know, taken care of all of that uh, and would have had, a, I think, a better turnout for some of these things. But. Cool. If I can uh, turn the conversation a little bit, um, there's, there's a, a strong literary influence in your lyrics and almost to the point where you provide footnotes in some of your album, liner notes, um, explaining references, whether it's mythical or, or novels or... Um, other things, and I, I wanted to know if there was any particular works or um, you know anything that would be influential in in your lyrics for this record that you would call out. Um, well, uh, I ha- I don't I don't like I don't like very many things to be <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, some people say they like you know oh, I love all kinds of music. I don't. I really don't like very many things at all. Um, the things that I do like, I like immensely. I, I sort of obsess over so. Um, so, you know, I was an English major. I taught English, uh, at a high school for a few years. Um, but my, the, pretty much the entirety of my interest lies with literature between about 1915 and 1955, right? So, um, you know, the, the entirety of all of human race, you know, literary <laughs> experience and, and just strictly sort of American or some, you know, English kind of uh, writing. So, um, I have very, very, very uh, limited sort of perspective. But um, of all those things, <clears throat> excuse me, of all those things, the most interesting to me, the most interesting, uh, I guess, literary uh, uh, project or writing is The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. Um, and I just always go back to that, like every time. And so um, on the last record, Health and Sport, it just pops up over and over and over again. And I'm just you know using his lines repeatedly. Um, I I tried to kind of get away from that somewhat with this record. I didn't. I mean, I didn't get too far from it because there's it's sort of um, speckled throughout. But but there's other references on there. Um, obviously, you know, Ginsburg, the you know reference to his uh, his poem Howl, um, and some of the beats. Uh, some of that stuff's in there as well. It gets a little bit beyond my interest, you know, with some of that. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I think obviously if you read a lot, that's going to kind of come out in your writing. And I, I do read a lot, but, um, I'm always looking for lines to steal from all kinds of places. Um, and, 
it's probably <clears throat> this one is a I think this one is a little bit it's a little more self reflective and so um it's not quite as I don't know, maybe it is I, I don't I don't feel it's quite as literary and artistic uh, or as I said in, you know earlier interesting um, it's just a little <laughs> more straight straightforward so it's missing some of those sort of references and that kind of thing uh, but they're in there yeah uh, a couple follow-ups um this is probably more self-serving than 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 getting you to answer an interesting question but have you uh, read any Walker Percy or Kierkegaard or enjoyed either of them. <laughs> Um, and the this reason like I the asked the third if, time this week I've been asked about Walker oh, Percy. Oh, really? Yeah. So interesting. Great. Um, <clears throat> um, just because um, the, the sense of like modern dislocation or, or even existential malaise, I can see some themes um, in some of your songs. Um, feeling, you know, maybe out of sync with what you see in in the world, or um, I don't know. Maybe that's enough to to comment on. But um, yeah, I mean, I've I've. I've given them all a try. So, uh, you know, I, re- I read The Moviegoer. I read Love and Ruins. Um, what's the Cosmos one by Walker Percy? Lost in um, the Cosmos. Yeah, Lost in the Cosmos. I haven't read that, but I've, I've heard enough about it from other people. Um, I have like a Kierkegaard reader, you know, and I've tried either or and things like that. So um, I, I give everything a shot. Um, but again, if it doesn't sort of grab me, I... I I don't know. I get bored with it pretty quickly and 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 turn it aside. Um, a friend of mine, a priest friend of mine, who has a a, lit, a, a literature professor for a good friend, who sends him all the all the latest. He sends him all the best sort of writing, and so he passes it on to me. And what I found, and because I hadn't, you know, really, I had I hadn't read anything except for Wendell Berry. Um, I haven't read any contemporary writers after say nineteen sixty sixty five something like that. Um, you know, even like the beats, it just didn't interest me very much. And so, um, but he sent me um, a variety of things. Uh, um, there's a guy named Seabald who wrote a book called The Immigrants, which is fantastic. But the one that struck me was Cormac McCarthy. I read uh, Blood Meridian. And I thought I had read some dark stuff before, right? Um, but I realized that if this is how modern writing is, um, and I have never really kind of gone that direction. Um, it's so dark. I mean, it's so um, – it's not just dark. It's sort of uh, – it's devoid of any sense of um, of hope or anything like that. Whereas I think in the earlier sort of earlier 20th century, even those folks that were trying to kind of push in that direction, they still had some connections to uh, a general positivity, you might say. Um, not that they were positive necessarily, but they just weren't completely devoid. You know, um, I love Camus. I mean, I, you know, I've read The Plague a number of times, um, and um, that's pretty dark stuff. But even that didn't strike me as being yeah. like McCarthy. I, I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but um, there's something going on in the modern world that's not good, uh, in case you were wondering. But. <laughs> I don't know if that answered your question or not. No, totally did. And hopefully next week someone else will ask you about Walker Percy and you can continue your journey of answering questions about Walker <laughs> yeah, Percy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, need to try him, I need to try him out again. I didn't love him, but I, I got through the books. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, Lost in the Cosmos is basically if you took his novels and he just said his philosophy straight to you instead of putting it into stories. So yeah. Um, yeah. if you prefer the story version, it's, the moviegoer is probably a better bet. But yeah. Well, it's it's because I mean, philosophy to me is so tiresome. Um, you know, I just like stories. Uh, that's what I. I'm not. I'm not really much of an intellectual um, 
I've discovered. And so, um, you know, all the philosophers, I can't keep, I can't keep any of them straight. First of all, and then when they begin to get into, um, you know, I, I, I remember taking a course um, in in college um, with Foucault, and we tried reading Foucault and his literary sort of criticisms, yeah. where words don't actually have meaning, and I mean, I just. Um, you know, just death of the so, author and Derrida. Yeah, and yeah, all that. exactly. Um, and it, I just wanted to put a you know gun in my mouth because it was <laughs> it didn't it didn't do anything for me. I mean, it didn't do anything at all for me. So um, the one other book question is uh, comes from our father. Yeah, he, he wanted to know if you had read uh, the the Orthodox seminarian uh, Alexander Schmemann's uh, for the life of the world because he's always admired that book. And uh, yes, <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> um, yeah, Saint Vladimir's. I graduated from Saint Vladimir's. Father Schmemann was the dean of Saint Vladimir's until he died in 1983. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I have uh, I have all of Schmemann's books and, and I read them uh, regularly, actually. Um, and that one, you know, sort of is the. Yeah, uh, the uh, the creme de la creme. Well, it reached uh, out to as... to us non orthodoxers. So, sure, that. sure, <laughs> connections. Sure. <laughs> yes, I think you're, I think you're called heterodox. By the way, so. is that what you call us? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I call awesome. you friends. It's all right. <laughs> Please, <laughs> yes. Well, maybe we can uh, escape the literary conversation and uh, um, maybe talk about more music, uh, which is what we're here for. And um, I just thought I'd toss out just, you know, do you have any favorite records in the past year or two or or things that are kind of tickling you in a good way as far as uh, sound? I just told you I didn't like anything. Um, Right. So then when you do like things, it's very interesting. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I read an an article recently that stated, um, I don't know if it's true. I don't know how you quantify this, but... They said at the age of 33, you stop uh, investigating and becoming interested in new music. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but um, I certainly have found that over the last, and I'm, I'll be 43 this year, and so I've certainly found that um, nothing you know, grabs me and, and, and makes me feel the way it did when I was 23, you know. Um, you know, back then, I mean, I remember when I was, you know, 16, I heard the Smiths for the first time, and and I immediately ran out and cut my hair and bought women's blouses and you know just you know obsessed over lyrics. Well, that I don't I don't see that happening uh, anymore anymore to kids. But uh, maybe it does. I don't know. A so, little less um, blouse shopping, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, who knows nowadays? <laughs> but um, the uh, I guess we can't call them women's blouses anymore. But um, <clears throat> the I guess the only thing the things that I've heard recently. Um, the only real record that stood out to me that I really stick with a lot is uh, the new Spoon record, um, "They Want My Soul." Huh, that's great. Um, and I, I've and I've had I had a couple of their records before, and they do the same thing over and over. You know, yep. it's not nothing uh, uh, unusual. But for whatever reason, this new record, the sound of it, first of all, is really fa- fantastic, um, and the songwriting. Um, it's it's just really solid um, and singable, and it doesn't get tiresome. You know what I mean. So um, I, I find myself going back to that one uh, a lot, actually. Um, I I bought other things. Um, I, oftentimes I'll buy things just because I'm dedicated to the band, even though they haven't done a good record in many years. Mm-hmm. Um, like Bell and Sebastian, they put a new one out yeah, this record I, this I'd, year. I'd agree with that. Um, and they had one really fantastic song on there. Um, I can't recall what it's called at the moment, but um, 
the rest of the song, the rest of the records, yeah, it's, it's fine, but it's not interesting <laughs> necessarily. But that one song is really fantastic and totally worth it. So, um, of course, you know, the new Sufjan, um, I have a mixed love hate relationship with him. Yeah. Sorry, Michael, I know that you're uh, <laughs> I'm a super fan. fan. Um, and, and, and I will say with his new record, uh, well, okay. So part of it is I'm I'm incredibly jealous of him. First of all, so I, you have to acknowledge <laughs> that, you know, um, and uh, and he gets to make choices about things that the rest of us don't get to make, you know, and so um, and you know, and he's writing about his mother dying, and so obviously there's he's already getting, you know, he, he's ahead of the curve when it comes to some of this stuff, but um, but his, you know, his new record I think is um, about half really good. Um, Okay, I'll back up. It's all really good songwriting. And if you like what he does, um, that thing that he does, then you'll love it, right? Um, And if you're not really into that kind of thing that he does, then it'll be all right. But um, what I like about his new record is that half of it is about – is kind of – he's doing things that he hasn't done before as far as I can tell. Um, And again, I have all of his records, so – um, I can say that, but um, there is, it's half kind of interesting, different uh, rhythms, different kinds of singing. Um, it's not so precious and not so uh, chambery, you know, Baroque, whatever that uh, pretentious almost kind of thing. Um, and so I, I, I do, I do enjoy uh, again about half of that, but. Um, <clears throat> and my favorite record of his was always Seven Swans, and so maybe it's because I'm getting close to 33 myself. I'm like, oh, this is in some ways um, Similar to in that, that yeah. in that zone. So. Yeah, watch out, yeah. Mike. It's all over soon. It's, <laughs> uh, I'm 35. I still listen to everything I listened to in the 90s, and it's like it's just kind of like like you say though. Like you'll listen to new records from bands you listened to back then. But I won't listen to any new bands. Like they're really hard for me to latch onto or, or to speak to me in any way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'll fall. I just feel like I'm following all my old friends as they get. You know, they'll make records. You know, ten, fifteen years on later, and luxury is an example too. And um, my Spotify list, like, is just it's all my '90s bands, but then whatever they're doing today, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe the exception to the rule is our, our oldest brother Matt seems just like to have an insatiable ability to just always listen to new stuff. So. You know, every every other month, there's a new thing in Dropbox. It's like, hey, check this out. Well, and, you know, I, I will say I check out everything. I mean, I I don't have um, great access, but I follow. You know, I follow Stereo Gum and, and Pitchfork and um, the different sort of you know online um, those those sites that kind of communicate what's what's kind of hot now. Um, and um, you know, I, the problem that I find with some of those is they're uh, they give e- equal weight to like hip hop, and hip hop is to be just horrible. So um, <laughs> I don't ever, you know, as soon as I see, you know, Lil Crud or whoever it is that's you know the new, I just kind of close the page because I just can't, I can't take it. But um, I will, I will listen, or I'll, I'll kind of check out, you know, you know this new band. I don't know. For instance, um, uh, Tame Impala seems to be yeah. like like the thing. Like they're the thing that represents the greatest band alive today or something like that. Um, and so I listen to it and um, th- all I hear is sort of a variety of textures and sounds, but I don't hear any songs, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, which is troublesome to me, I think, when you're, when you're actually trying to write or listen to songs. So, um, but I, but I, I will I'll listen to a lot of things. Um, I, don't, I don't tend to dig chick singers very much. 
um, for, to, to use the pejorative, um, <laughs> a female vocalist. I, I, I don't, uh, unless they sound, I like female vocalists that sound like men. <laughs> well, what's an example? An example, uh, Beach House, for instance. Oh, yeah. She um, sings very low. She has a very sort of baritone kind of kind of uh, voice. Uh, I love it. I, th- I, th- I think the the last uh, two Beach House records actually are, are fantastic, and I listen to those actually. So they're regularly. one of those that have felt like they release the same record every other year. And so have they have they evolved at all? No, no. I mean, they're doing what they do. Um, but if you like what they do, you like it. Right. You know what I mean? So um, it, it's. Um, and I don't know why I like it really, and I don't listen to it all the time. But it's the kind of thing that sits on my on my mm-hmm. shelf, and I'll pull it out, and you know, yeah. I actually use CDs and records and stuff. So, <laughs> um, and I don't have a Spotify playlist. So, um, sorry, but um, <laughs> the uh, but I mean, there's other examples of that, like um, what's on the radio right now. What's her name? Uh, uh, Florence, Florence of the Machine. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't care for. She sounds like a man, but I don't care for that at all. So yeah. Um, uh, Angel Olsen. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh with yeah, her or not. totally digging. Angel Olsen. Uh, yeah, I I love. She's one of my favorites. Actually, one of my one of my favorites from the last few years. Um, I think I think she's um, outrageously good and interesting, even though she's not doing anything particularly you know different or anything like that. But um, that's about all I can think of at the moment. Yeah. Well, you start out saying you didn't like anything, and then we're like fifty <laughs> artists later. So. <laughs> And some of them you didn't like, but yes, <laughs> that's yes. good. There's plenty that I don't like. There's more that I don't like than what I do like. <laughs> good. Let's just name who we don't like. How about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this sounds like a new wild. show. How long could we go? <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess back to luxury. I mean, is there any chance of a tour? Are you guys playing any shows? I know <laughs> you don't all live in the same place, so maybe that's difficult. No, no, that, no there's no chance of that happening. Um, well, I mean, the main the main obstacle for three of us is that we're Orthodox priests, and and um, well, we're we're occupied, obviously, um, yeah. during the weekends, especially. But just in general, um, it, it's di- it's difficult. Uh, well, you know, recording a record and putting a record out is one thing. Um, p- performing it live would be it would introduce a lot of sort of strange. Um, Tensions, I guess you might say, for, for for me in particular, right? And I mean, you don't, you you never, I don't think you ever saw us live, or either one of you, but um, many uh, times. Oh, you did. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. we caught so, your tour, especially anything in the Midwest, Detroit, Cornerstone. Oh, okay. okay, I was probably just a little too young. I was probably twelve. So I even oh, wow. saw Piltdown Man at Cornerstone. So. Oh wow, goodness. Yeah. Um, well, we'll just leave Michael out of this for a minute. But <laughs> yeah, um, hang on. So, so <laughs> if you recall, I had a, I have a kind of a provocative performance charisma sometimes or at least i try to sometimes um maybe not in the midwest i don't remember but um (laughs) but to kind of combine you know what i want to do on stage with you know just performance with sort of who i am now my function now would Mm -hmm. be would be difficult to kind of figure out how to do that right um because you know i wanted to be i want to be sexy and provocative and interesting and, and all that well I'm also a priest, and uh, how do you combine? I mean, it's just, there's a lot of... There's some new hybrid you'd have to create. I don't know. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I, I suppose other people do it. You know, David Bowie went through all of his, you know, uh, transitions, you might say, um, and came out somewhere. So I'm sure it can be done. I'm just not sure how it would be done. And um, 
but that's just the sort of the, the least of all the other obstacles that would prevent us from from playing live. So yeah, is it also just like you did things on the recording that you'd have to relearn? Like, oh, we added this part that we invented at the moment in the studio, and it's like, what is that thing we did? No, well, we never tried to sound like our recordings. Um, yeah, it's not even a bother. Uh, it wasn't even an issue. Um, and in fact, we've. Um, I think, if anything, I think this new record sounds the most like what we would sound like live. Um, we probably could pull the new one off pretty easily, I think. But like Health and Sport, we we never played um, hardly any of those songs live at all. So um, maybe just a, a handful of them. So I don't even know where we, where we would begin with something like that. Um, and I don't. We'd have to relearn <laughs> all the old stuff. I couldn't <laughs> couldn't remember how to do it now. But solid gold. That's all I want to hear. <laughs> you could do that. One live. That's an easy one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually, I actually played. Um, I played a solo show about two years ago now in Austin. When a friend of mine, uh, Taylor Muse, who's in a band called Quiet Company, um, asked me to come down and play. And so it was Taylor. Uh, it was just a solo acoustic kind of thing. So it was Taylor, um, who's a fantastic songwriter and great singer and just a jolly kind of guy. Um, and uh, what's the, the singer for a band called Mineral, um, Chris oh, yeah. Simpson, I think? Yep. Oh, yeah, Chris. Um, yeah, it was Chris and me and Taylor. And we played um, we played sort of a, uh, like a, a, a set in, a, in the round. So we'd play like three songs, and then I'd play like three songs, and then Taylor would play three songs, and then Chris would play three songs, and we'd go back and three, three, and three. It was very interesting, but... Huh. Um, I've thought of doing that kind of thing again just because it, it came off really well and it sounded really good and I actually could sing, which was a big surprise. Um, you know, I, I played Solid Gold live. I mean, just things like that. So yeah, there is some poss- there's some possibility of that in the future, but, um, you know, I haven't told my wife that yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, will she listen to this? Uh, not certainly not this long. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> Unless you start with this. That's part. why you got to bury these things at the end of the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, that's good. I, I I will say, you know, in, in checking out as one of your kickstarting supporters and um, really loving the new album and, and looking forward to your formal release here. And um, if you do ever, ever get anything together, even if it is a solo kind of show, you know, I'd, I'd drive wherever you're, you're playing just to go check it out again. <laughs> um, but even to see if you'd grab any of these songs and kind of put them in that live format too, it'd be interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I, I put together, um, I don't know if you got this or not, but I put together sort of a, a book um, when we were doing this record of all the all the songs, all the lyrics and all the, basically the chord changes. I don't know if you, you saw that or not, but um, because I, I couldn't remember how to play half the songs. And so I had to sit down and kind of relearn them. And, <laughs> and now I have a book so that I can actually just open the pages and, and say, oh, this is how you play this song. Um, and so I was talking to my brother recently, and he and I both hate the second record. And so we were trying to figure out, you know, how do we, how can we re-record this, like re-record these songs in a, in a new way? Now I haven't told the, I haven't told anybody else this except for you two. So um, how can we re-record this second record in an interesting way so that I actually would want to listen to it? Um, <laughs> and so, uh, I, and I did, a, I did this whole research on bands that, you know, have gone back and re-recorded earlier records. And there's, there's a ton of them. I didn't realize this, but a lot of them had done it. Um, basically for money so they can get rights to these songs. 
Um, we wouldn't do that. We would do it because the second record is so dreadful. But um, and it would be interesting to kind of re reevaluate. So that got me thinking about how would I play some of these songs just sort of on a very low key, um, in an interesting kind of way. Um, and so I don't know. You never know. So there might be some possibilities there. All right, I'll keep an eye out. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think if, for me it's just uh, I'm especially you know you're on what we call this the pseudo show and and we're always more concerned with we were very interested in processes and you know whether that is as a songwriter a filmmaker you know any kind of creative action that we we put ourselves through and kind of that you know the the disciplines we put ourselves in to get into a creative space and do we like it do we like it too much do we not like anything And, and finding that balance to Ultimately, like I think we said with Mike in his home studio, is he's got all the time in the world. When is his next album going to come out? And it's like, <laughs> we want, but when do you finish something? That's always, for me, is the challenge. Yeah. I'm a filmmaker myself, and it's like the hardest thing and, and the most celebrated thing is like finishing a film. You know, it's like, yeah. guess yeah. what, guys? We all talked about it and we shot stuff, but we actually finished one. And it's a big accomplishment. Well, you're, and you're never you're never satisfied. Um, no, yeah, you know. I mean, that's just the nature of of music. I, I think I've only well, actually when you get enough distance from it, you can begin to forget sort of how dissatisfied you were, um, you know. And then and then it, and then it kind of takes on its a life of its own. But um, no, I don't. And I, I don't. Maybe I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I sit down to write a song, it's as if I've never written a song before. I have no idea how to start. Right, um, and so I keep a I keep a notebook of song titles, and that's pretty much where everything starts for me is just song titles, and I'll I'll steal them from places or I get ideas or whatever. Um, but it's it really uh, Matt mentioned Matt Hinton who's doing this documentary. Um, he said, "Hey, we need another song for uh, the film so that we can submit it for a Grammy for best original song." I thought he was joking, but he's not. He's not joking. The guy okay. that the guy that um, mastered our record uh, just won his second Grammy for mastering. So, um, so he was talking to him and said, "Hey, you got to do this." And so, so Matt said, "You know, th- we start thinking about that." Well, so for the last four weeks, I've been sitting here with my guitar in my lap, going, "Huh? You know, like, how do you?" How do you write a Grammy-winning you know, hit not song? The, not the writing prompt you're used to, <laughs> <laughs> or, or I want. I mean, you know, I don't want that kind of pressure. But yeah. um, so I just listen to like a lot of radio and see what the kids are into nowadays. And, and I figure if I use a lot of stomping and like um, sort of crowd cheering, it'll be okay. Whoa, whoa. So, yeah, yeah. You, you need some suspenders and you got to clap a lot. Yeah, that, that, that's it. That's the new music. So. I'll just rip off Vampire Weekend. We'll be all yeah. right. <laughs> Well, I like this theme of, of never satisfied. Well, I, maybe I don't like being never satisfied, but um, you, you'd, I don't think you'd be a good artist if you were just exceedingly happy with whatever it is you happen to make because you, would <laughs> you wouldn't improve, you wouldn't evolve. I don't, yeah, I don't, know if, I don't know if I've ever evolved or not. Um, I think everybody sort of settles into what they're comfortable doing. Um, and there's something that drives you to do it, right? But but you know, for me anyway, it come. I don't have to write a song every day. I mean, I I can't imagine. I was looking at we'll rag on Sufjan Stevens a little bit here, but I was looking at his little <laughs> um, B sides record. Uh, it's called the Avalanche, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's like thirty songs or something of you know just B sides, right? Who writes you know who writes thirty extra songs that are not all not really very good, 
you know <laughs> it's like well if it wasn't going to be very good then just don't do it you know and so like for this record that we just did i had to write 12 songs because i knew i think a record should have 10 songs and we needed two others for this other stuff and so i wrote, i sat down to write 12 songs and that's what i wrote i wrote 12 songs um and, um, you know, if something just never, if, if it wasn't going to go, I can't imagine going through the process of writing lyrics, writing a melody to a song that's just kind of, eh, it's okay, you know, just <laughs> mediocre. And um, then shipping people, it off. <laughs> right, and then shipping it off for printing and releasing and all that. Um, and so I guess, but people do that. It seems like people do that all the time. Um, I, I don't well, and, I don't understand And that. to continue ragging on Sufjan, the, the Christmas albums seem to be even more of that, of just like, wow, a hundred songs? Okay, here <laughs> we go. Yeah, I've never listened to his Christmas records. Look what we did um, that one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sat around and, yeah. Yeah, but, I guess, and, I, yeah. and I'm sure, I imagine he's also like we are, where I, I imagine he's, I mean, I don't know, but I imagine he's never satisfied either. Otherwise he wouldn't keep, I don't think he would keep doing it, you know. Um, yeah. But but it's also it's also a matter of learning kind of your limitations, right? And and I'm always experiencing my limitations and that's what's dissatisfying is that I can't you know, I'm getting older, I'm losing my range. I had to start tuning down to D because I can't sing the way I used to and I mean just a lot of things like that, you know, it's like okay, now it's not gonna get any better, you know. Eventually <laughs> I'm gonna sound like Leonard Cohen and that's gonna be you know, scary when you're that age, but um but, you know, you keep coming back to it. You keep saying, okay, what am I going to do? What do I want to do? Um, and that's why people start taking up things like, you know, the banjo and things like that because it's something different. And, and uh, But they're really not – they're kind of fooling themselves, you know what I mean? So. Sorry, again, Mike, I think you play a banjo, don't you? Yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> No, I play like a guitar. I just strum. Okay. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I've actually – I'm on you here. <laughs> well, Justin, you got any others? No, I that's I like the talking of process. Well done. <laughs> it's fun. It's it's always I'm always interested in in my you know myself. Just sort of how do people write and and uh, you know I'm not a professional by any means, and so it's it's like always like a new thing, you know. Um, and it's always it's always it's always brand new. I don't know, especially if you're not a very good guitar player or piano player, um, you just kind of end up doing the same thing over and over and. Uh, it better be good, you know, if you're going to do the same thing over and over. So. Oh, that's great. Well, uh, Lee, we want to thank you so much for coming on the Pseudo Show and, and, and talking shop and talking the record. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Pseudo Show, episode 25. Be sure to check out Luxury's new record, Trophies, when it comes out on June 25th. Among other places, you'll be able to pick it up at luxury.bandcamp.com. Be sure also to check out the show notes for links to all that Lee is up to and to one of the songs we collaborated on. Find those links at sunriserobot.net slash pseudoshow slash 25. Finally, be sure to subscribe to The Pseudo Show so that you never miss any of these great interviews. On our website, you can click on the iTunes or RSS buttons and use a podcast app on your phone. That way, new episodes will be delivered automatically to you. We thrive on the support of our listeners, so if you'd like to contribute to the success of The Pseudo Show on Sunrise Robot, head to patreon.com slash sunriserobot and donate to get your name on our list of supporters. Special thanks to our top supporters, Bruce Edwards and Andreas Langa. All right, we'll see you next time.